the love that we have for God's people and the love we find in Christ himself. And we rejoice in that in our local church. We find the fellowship in Christ Jesus and with each other. And I want us to look at that this morning. <clears throat> Three things about the prayer life in, in, that Paul exhibits to us. First of all, it is, it is constant. He calls us to pray without ceasing. Now, that means we're always you know, speaking some memorized prayer to God. To pray without ceasing means it comes as naturally as breathing comes to us. I don't usually focus on breathing. You probably don't either until I just mentioned it, and now you're thinking, oh yeah, we breathe all the time, don't we? We pray all the time. And in our prayers, it is help me, help me, help me. It is thank you, thank you, thank you. It is God give me discernment. It's God gives me strength for this moment. It is natural as breathing when we pray without ceasing. And yet Paul, in all of his journeys, and he walks all the time and prays all the time. In the Philippian letter, he says, all my, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He talks about praying for them continually and often speaks them by name. Paul had a long prayer list. I hope you have a long prayer list. I hope you have all kinds of people that you pray for and recognize the need for that prayer constantly. The second thing about Paul's prayer life is that it's thankful, and it makes me take inventory of my own prayer life. Is it constant or is it intermittent? Is it thankful or am I sometimes grumbling with God about stuff? <clears throat> and I have to check myself and make sure it is a prayer of thanks, aware of the gracious God who answers our prayers and hears our prayers. And the third thing about Paul's prayer life is it's just repetitive. It is persistent. Over and over and over, he prays. And there's kind of a mentality that says, well, I've already told God that. Why should I keep praying it? <laughs> it's as much to remind ourselves of God's goodness and God's listening nature to repeat it, to be aware of the need uh, for prayer. And so Paul says, I keep asking that you may gain the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we may know him better. It's not just knowledge about the book, even if it's the best book. It is the knowledge in the heart. And that's where I want to look at, at God opening the eyes of our hearts today. Paul realizes that he's about to depart. And whenever a man of God dies, a woman of God dies, I hear Reuben Welch's words, which I've heard him speak at funerals time and time again. Nothing of God dies when a woman of God or a man of God dies. In my reading through the Bible this year, I've gotten up to Moses handing things off to Joshua. And how many people thought this can't go on without Moses' leadership? And God said, nothing of me dies when Moses dies. You will take the promised land. You will move ahead in my plan for you. And we recognize that Paul is going to be leaving them, and yet he is invested in others, and they are picking this up. And he is talking to them as if, yes, this, the kingdom's going on. It does not depend upon me. It depends upon the Holy Spirit and the Spirit moving forward. And so he prays there in verse 18, I pray that God will enlighten the eyes of your heart. Now we, see, we use the phrase, I see it. You know, Our physical eyes, somebody's trying to point something out to you and you don't see it quite, and they'll focus over there just about 11 o'clock right there. Oh yeah, I see it. Teachers know the way we talk about the enlightenment of the mind. When a 
student finally says, oh, I see, you know, you've been trying to drill it in, and finally the light bulb goes on. Yeah, I get it. I see it. But even the physical eyes and the eyes of the mind are insufficient for Paul. He says, you've got to have the spiritual eyes. The eyes of our hearts have to be enlightened. It has to be personalized to see what it is that God has for us. I remember reading in John Wesley's journal when he had that great experience where he said, my heart was strangely warmed. And he said on that occasion back in 1738, I saw the truth of God. It was revealed to me. The truth of God with the eyes of the heart. Remember when Jesus healed the blind man back in John chapter 9 and and the Pharisees are after him and saying, who healed you? We know this man is a sinner. He shouldn't be healing you. Who healed you? He said, I don't know who healed me. I just know this. I was blind, and now I see. That's the bottom line. The Spirit comes, and sometimes it's a mysterious thing. We don't know how it happens, but he opens the eyes of our heart that we might see him in his fullness. You're going to see as we walk through Ephesians that it's an epistle of prayer. Paul prays all the time and prays for us and encourages us to pray that we might know him in his fullness. He realized the limits of his human teaching. His teaching could not bring to them spiritual sight. So he prays that the Holy Spirit will open their eyes. It is only God who can bring that. Often we talk to people about God, but before we talk to people about God, we need to talk about those people (laughs) to God. I have to confess to you, this shouldn't be true, but since I stepped in as kind of a temporary leader for us, my prayer life for you has increased. And I got convicted about that, said, why is that? That should have been always the amount of prayer I prayed for this family that I love. Why why is it increasing now? And it convicted me that we, as the body of Christ, need to be lifting each other up in prayer to recognize what it is to be a part of a unity. And if if anything, the book of Ephesians sounds over and over and over, we are united in Christ. He lives in me, he lives in you, we are one in him. And we have to recognize that unity. Well, Paul prays that God would enlighten their hearts in three different areas. The first one I want us to look at is that in verse 18 he says, I want you to know our future hope the hope we have in Jesus Christ. May our spiritual eyes be enlightened to the hope that we have. Now, Paul has spoken of that great trio of faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, but sometimes I'm afraid that that hope kind of takes the back seat in that trio, but hope drives us. It is the power that drives Christianity. It keeps us serving. It keeps us striving for our best. It is hope that makes a scientist strive to heal the disease. It is hope that pushes an athlete to the limits of its physical capacity. It is hope that drives a teacher to see that sparkle in the eye of a student when they begin to understand and realize what they're trying to get across. It is not a last-ditch emotion where you say, well, now all we can do is hope. (laughs) Hope is where we start. This is the initiative. This is the inspiration for us. It's the enthusiasm that kicks off our spiritual action. But in the world, I think the picture of hope is like kind of an unfounded vague wish. I hope this happens. I've got no evidence that it should, but I hope it does. 
But the word talks about the sure and certain hope of the resurrection, the hope that we have in Christ. It is tied to the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 5. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The basis for our hope is not some upward wish, but what he has established in our heart by giving us his Holy Spirit to live within us that we would see with the eyes of our heart the possibilities that God has for us, that he would build his kingdom in us and through us. Over a few chapters, Paul says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and constant in prayer. So hope points us to our destination. If I stay on the road I'm on, where will I end up? (laughs) Hope says, yeah, this is the destination that God has for us. This is where he's leading us. Be aware of it and claim it for his kingdom. The sure and certain hope of the resurrection. That's his calling for us as we hope. So I pray that he would open the eyes of our hearts to hope. And then I want us to recognize that he opens our eyes to our past heritage. Pastor D has drilled this into us for years and years of walking backwards into our future. We recognize, looking back, at what has gone on before us. That dictates what will happen in our future as we walk with him into that future. And so Paul reminds them of their heritage among the saints. Paul is so proud of being a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. Absolutely, I'm a Christian. I used to kill Christians. I used to persecute Christians. I used to throw Christians Christians in jail. But Jesus, Jesus came and he changed me. I remember this spiritual stride I took when I was in high school. And one of my friends had this same kind of boldness about proclaiming his Christian faith. And so if somebody asked him, are you a Christian? He didn't hesitate and say, okay, that's kind of a guarded question. What's the follow-up question? What are you going to ask me about being a Christian? He said, I certainly am, (laughs) and went positively from there. I learned to say when somebody asked me about my Christian faith, yes, I certainly am. I wouldn't be anything else. It's amazing. Look what Christ has done to have that positive approach because of what we've experienced. And Paul realized that God had saved him in a fantastic way. The glory of belonging. Psychologists will tell us that the, the need to belong is crucial to who we are as human beings. I would encourage you to read the books of Father Gregory Boyle, who is a, uh, works in the inner city in L.A. with gangs. Just a tremendous litany of books, tattoos on the heart, barking to the choir, the whole language. Uh, one title, I haven't read this book yet, but I love the title, Forgive Everyone Everything. <laughs> Just this sense that forgiveness is built into our Christian DNA and belonging as he works with gang members is crucial. And he sees lives changed. He also views ruined lives and the heartache of those who haven't belonged anywhere and so they've sought refuge in a gang. God created us with the need to belong. If we don't find it in Christ, if we don't find it in the family of God, 
We will seek it elsewhere. But let's make the primary goal more attractive to people. Let's lift up Christ, which is our church purpose. And he says, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men and women to me. And so we recognize the importance of lifting him up and realizing that to belong to Jesus is an amazing, glorious thing. Well, step back and get a view of the church. I am proud to be a part of this family, and every week I hear of somebody doing something for someone whether that's feeding the needy or comforting someone in loss or if that's caring for someone in a celebration or if it's coming alongside someone in prayer. And I am proud to be a part of that. I hear the word of somebody helping feed the poor. I'm proud to be a part of that in our church. I hear of someone who's been reaching out and caring for somebody deeply and meeting their needs in Christ Jesus. And I'm proud to be a part of that. Proud to be a part of the family of God. And we look in that spiritual rearview mirror. I'm proud to be a part of the family of God of St. Paul, who is writing this to believers in the first century when he's about to die at the hands of Rome, when persecutions have come against Christians already. Proud to be a part of the family of John the Beloved and Barnabas the Encourager and Timothy the young disciple of Paul and Andrew who's forever bringing people to Jesus and John Mark who comes back from a first failure and then gets established and works in the kingdom. You start going down through the centuries and you, Chrysostom and Wesley and Calvin and Luther and all these who have come. And we come into our own lifetime and you think of people. And then we come into our own church. You don't have to look far to think of those. Man, I'm proud to be a part of the family of God. with Herb Prince, my teacher, with Frank Carver, who's gone to be with the Lord, with Reuben Welch, with Norm Shoemaker, with Pastor D. Proud to be a part of the heritage, not just a biblical heritage. Think then of your own family. Who has impacted you? I'm proud to be in the lineage of a godly grandmother who passed that on often through the maternal side of our family until dad became a Christian. Proud to be a part of that heritage. Who are you thankful for <laughs> in the family of God? Paul says, I am thankful always for you in this heritage. And so we look back at the family of God and it's not enough just to have my name on a roll or have my tithe paid up or show up at church every now and then. I need to have a new uh, excitement and thrill about the the sense of pride and privilege in belonging to not only the family of God, but a local church that lifts up Christ and cares for others and prays for each other and lifts each other up. May the eyes of our hearts be enlightened to our past heritage. But not just a future hope and a past heritage, but what about the now in which we live? He prays here in verse 19 that we would now have this awareness of the power that surrounds us. The power of God. If I just use a travel metaphor, the, the hope is our map and, and uh, our heritage is the rearview mirror where we look back and see what's happened, but the power of the Holy Spirit is the engine that makes it go now. The power that he gives us, he says, is the same power with which God raised Jesus from the dead. The power of the Holy Spirit 
that removes the pessimism of our day. And we could get so down on our world, the, the violence, the disillusionment, the chaos, the fear. I'm convinced that Christians are the only people that can simultaneously be an optimist and a realist. <laughs> that we can see what's going on around us and still have the hope of Jesus Christ. Hope that doesn't find evidence in the midst of the culture. Hope that doesn't find evidence in the sinful world, but hope that finds all the evidence we need in Christ Jesus and in his spirit working within us. We find that power. And so scripture is not survival instructions. Scripture is a plan of action. Paul says this is vast power in the hands of those who will trust in me, who will know me in my fullness. The incomparable power. Let me read from verse 18 on once again. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may have know the hope in which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power to us who believe. Paul is saying, God has demonstrated this power in raising Christ from the dead, and God has chosen to give this power to you. Paul has seen it in his ministry. The apostles have seen it in their ministry. It is this power of God that has transformed them, that has changed them. And so he says, this great power for you who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. To grasp this idea that the very power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, to seat him at the right hand of the Father once again, is the power that's ours. Because he said, I will place my Holy Spirit within you. Do you ever notice the difference between the apostles before and after the day of Pentecost? They're hiding, thinking, well, we're going to be next, cowering in fear. And even when they see Jesus appearing to them over those 40 days of the resurrection appearances, now they know that they know that they know that Jesus is alive. And still Jesus says, don't tell anybody, you're not ready yet. But go and pray. And when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, then you'll become my witnesses. Jesus' way of telling them that head knowledge of resurrection power is not enough. It's got to be translated into the heart, into the guts, into who we are in Christ Jesus. Once I understand that power, that is available to me and lives within me by his Holy Spirit, then I'm ready to go and tell that resurrection message. And it's clear in Scripture that, you know, they changed. These timid disciples became vocal and became martyrs for their faith because God had changed them and now God lived within them. So learning about God is never sufficient. And that's why Paul is praying for them. Not just you'd see with your physical eyes, not just that you would see with your physical brain, but that you would see with the eyes of your heart. You would experience and know his power. 
and then we test that power. He says it's an incomparable power. There's nothing that measures up to the power of God. But how much will I apply that power of God to my life? This ocean that rises and falls that we get to see all the time where we live. If there's a leaf floating on top of it, it'll raise that leaf and lower that leaf. If it's a rowboat, it'll raise that. Or if it's the mighty ships that sail in and out of our harbor, it will float that. How much am I willing to trust God? How much am I wanting Him to take control of my life? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Are we willing to test that? To take the message to the gates of hell? To recognize that He can transform our world and he could build the kingdom within us and through us to the rest of the world that's the power that's available to us and the early church concentrated on that resurrection power once the spirit was within them the apostles creed you know jumps immediately from born of the virgin mary to suffered under pontius pilate crucified dead and buried and then amazingly raised from the dead and ascended on high and now lives within us That's the power that is ours. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And to learn that power, to know it for ourselves, is Paul's prayer. Not that we'll know it in theory, not that we'll know it in part, but we'll know him in his fullness. Oh, I pray that for us. Pray that God will show us that. In this time of heartache and transition and all the things we've been through as a congregation, that God will unite us, strengthen us by his spirit working within us. It's his prayer for us and our prayer for each other. Jesus had once been a child, but not now. He'd once been a teacher. He'd once hung on a cross, but not now. Now he is the ascended Lord, sitting at the right hand, making intercession for us. You ever think of Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father praying for you? representing you to God himself. I know them, Father. I was one of them, Father. I still am, if you'll see my physical resurrected body, one of them. The power that is ours in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your grace is always efficient, is always sufficient. It is always everything we need. We pray that as we strive to tap into that power and recognize what that power is all about, that we've realized the hope that you've given us and that hope sustains us as we look to what you have for us in resurrection power. We have this incredible heritage that you've given us, this history of the saints, be they people in our own lives, people just in the pages of the Bible, or people in the time in between. We thank you for them, and we're proud to be a part of that heritage. But Father, we live in this moment, and we need your power, the power of your Spirit working within us. We love you, and we are amazed that you want to place that power in this weak and fragile vessel but it's a power you freely give by your spirit. Amen. Praise team's gonna sing a song of that power of the Holy Spirit before we have our benediction together.